I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me now to the book of Isaiah chapter number 8. The book of Isaiah chapter number 8. Isaiah chapter number 8, and we want to begin our reading in verse number 19. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse number 19. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep, and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God, for the living to the dead, to the law and to the testimony? And they speak not according to this word. It is because there is no light in them. And they shall pass through it hardly bestead and hungry. And it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. And they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood, and this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with, justice, with judgment and with justice, from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And God will add His blessing to the reading of His Word to our hearts. Let's pray. Father, as we approach Thy Word this morning, God, it is our desire that You would speak and minister to our hearts. God, I pray for that anointing, that function, that power of the Holy Spirit, that God, my preaching and my teaching would not be with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that this church's faith would not stand in the wisdom of a man, but in the power of God. And God, we pray that Thou wouldst encourage our hearts during this time, uplift us, and point us to that great Redeemer of Thy people, the Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask it all in His name. Amen. As you know, 2020 has been one of the darkest years that our world has known. We see the effects of COVID-19 all around us, makes it difficult to travel, 
makes it difficult even for people to visit their own families. People that have had to bury their loved ones have not been able to go because of the restrictions due to this virus. We have seen an upsetting, as so far as it has been, presidential election. We have seen multitudes of hurricanes that have taken out different parts of the world. The mandates from government authorities in many cases have caused more anxiety and death. Statistics have shown that there has been an exponential increase in suicide, domestic violence, child abuse, and poverty in our country because of the stipulations placed upon people by state governments. And many people are left wondering, is there any light at the end of the tunnel? Or is it only going to keep on getting darker and darker and darker? And my fear is that we will allow the situations around us in our day to eclipse the true joy of this season of Christmas. How will this be done? Well, many governments wanted us to isolate for a time of Thanksgiving. And you can mark it down that in the days ahead, and I'm not speaking as a prophet, but I'm just speaking by what I see, that you can mark it down that when Christmas time comes, even a time where people consider family even more so, that there'll be even greater lockdown and greater pressure from government, increasing even greater anxiety and greater sorrow upon the people within those states and countries. And though you may be isolated from your family, and though you might not be able to reach your family, and you might feel alone, there is one thing you must understand, that you can never ever be separated from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is hope, but hope seems like some distant memory. Hope seems like something that we used to have a long time ago. But with the onslaught of the COVID-19 virus and, and other things that have happened in our country, it seems as if there is no hope. We've lost all hope and expectation for the future. But as we come to this time of year, we are to remind it of the greatest promise, the greatest promise of hope, and that hope was born in a manger in Bethlehem, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the midst of gloom and despair, I want to bring you the message, the light of Christmas brings beams of hope. And I pray that this would be true to your soul, that as you consider the glorious light of Christmas, that it bring beams of hope to your soul. I want you to notice, first of all, with me, as we consider the light of Christmas bringing beams of hope. In Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 21 and 22, I want you to notice great darkness. Great darkness. Notice with me in verse 22 of Isaiah 8. And they shall look unto the earth, and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. This dim, dark, and desolate situation flowed from Israel's sin and rebellion. Israel had refused to hearken to the preaching of the prophet Isaiah as it regarded future hardship. And the nation refused to repent, and so they found themselves in a frustrated and angry condition to the point of even cursing God. We find that in Isaiah 8 and verse 22 here, 
that notice it said that they shall look upon the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. This great darkness came upon Israel, we see, because of sin. Because of their sin, as I mentioned, they refused to heed the words of the preaching of Isaiah. More darkness because of sin. Their willing rejection of the word of the Lord. And we see that even in our own lives, the darkness comes. More sin brings more darkness, brings more anxiety. It brings more trouble. It brings more dimness. We see this from various passages such as Romans chapter 1 and verse number 21. We see this in John 3, 19 and 20 that men love darkness rather than light. In Psalm 82 and verse number 5 it speaks about national darkness. So there is a great darkness is there not across our land. And this great darkness has come why? Because of sin. And because of rejection of the word of the Lord, people have rejected the word of God and rejected the preaching of the men of the Lord. So we don't only just see darkness here because of sin, but this darkness represented impending judgment. So Israel had sinned against the Lord, but God was going to bring impending judgment. This was, uh, if you read the previous chapters here in Isaiah, Isaiah is prophesying of Assyria coming to wipe out Judah. And when very dark clouds are in the sky, we know what is about ready to happen. A major storm has moved in. And the Assyrians would come to judge the wickedness of God's people. And Adrian Rogers was right when he said, One of these days the dam of God's mercy will give way to God's judgment, and the day of the Lord will come. And that was what was taking place in Israel's day. Very soon the dam of God's mercy was going to give way to his judgment. And are not these impending clouds of judgment enclosing around our country today? We see it very much so. We see it with the leaders who do not know God. God has given us leaders. Many places around our country have leaders in high positions that do not know the Lord. We see a plague upon our land. And if you study anything about the Old Testament, that plagues and pestilences came from the hand of God as a means of judgment upon the land. So whatever you might think about this COVID virus and whatever your own views is, one thing is sure, that it is a sign of judgment from the hand of Almighty God upon our country. God has given us leaders who do not know God. We have plagues upon our land. We have hostility towards the gospel. When you have leaders in high positions within our country trying to constrict the amendment rights that we have as believers to gather together, and you have leaders and governors of various states trying to say that we cannot gather together to worship. This is a judgment from God. This is a judgment from the hand of God. And so we are living in dark days, dimness of anguish, and darkness is upon us. And we might feel as it might even get darker, my friend, and that is true. The darkness could even be greater than what it is now. 
Coming next year we can have a different man leading our country, driving us even into more darkness. This COVID virus could even bring in greater restrictions upon the church and we could be driven to even greater darkness. But should that leave us in a hopeless condition? Should we lose hope in the midst of judgment and pending judgment and sin? I want you to see that this darkness will give way to light. Notice what he says. There was great darkness, but notice the glorious light. Look with me in Isaiah 9 in verse 1. Notice the first word. It says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. That is a glorious word, nevertheless. That's like in the New Testament when we have the word but. You are this, but now you are light in the Lord. You once were lost, but now you're found. There once was darkness, but nevertheless, this darkness will not last forever. And this darkness that Israel was in was not meant to last forever. Their Babylonian captivity would not last forever. Their Assyrian captivity would not last forever. The darkness would not be upon them forever. Nevertheless, so God promises that through the clouds of darkness and blackness will shine forth such a light that will bring people out of the shadow of death. And this is what we had to present before people today. You and I are in a situation of impending judgment. There is darkness because of sin. There is darkness because of judgment. But this darkness does not have to last forever. Why? Because there will shine forth a light in the midst of darkness that will offer hope to those that are found there in the darkness. There is hope. Nevertheless, the dark times are not here to stay. They will one day be gone at last. They will be driven away. The dimness of darkness shall not prevail. What is this light that is shining in? It is none other than the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ who will be ushered in by the Messiah. Notice he says in verse 2, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. And they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. The dimness of darkness shall not prevail. In John 1 and verse number 5, we read there that the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Or you, that word comprehended could have the idea of overwhelmed or overcame. Listen, this light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself, cannot be overwhelmed or overcome by darkness. Wherever this light goes, it shines and it drives out the darkness. And as I said, we are in a dark time. But it is the light of the glorious gospel of Christ that will dispel the darkness. You know what the answer is for our time? It's not whoever is seated there in Columbia. That's not our answer. There is our governor. Our answer is not in our politicians. Our answer is not in our president. 
But our answer is found in the one that can dispel the darkness, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only answer we have for the time in which we live is that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ would cut through the darkness and open up the eyes of those that sit in darkness and show them their need of Jesus Christ and their need of the gospel. This glorious light, this dimness of darkness shall not prevail. And it would not prevail in their day. Why? Because Israel had prophets. They had the word of God. And we see that this prophecy here in Isaiah 9, verse 1 and 2, and it is in fact a prophecy, and this was to be fulfilled in the days of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have time to get into the whole history of the two afflictions that God brought upon the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. First He brought a small affliction, then He brought great affliction. But yet we see that these people that were afflicted in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, that these people would have the light to shine upon them. Verse 2, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them light has shined. That God would bring the light of the gospel to these people. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter number 4. We receive this fulfilled in Jesus' time. In Matthew chapter 4, look with me in verse number 12. Matthew 4 and verse 12. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, notice, it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, that is Isaiah, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region the shadow of death, light is sprung up. And what was the light that came? Notice verse 17. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say to them, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, these people were for hundreds of years literally in spiritual darkness. But here we have a prophecy that said there would come a time when God would bring the light of the gospel, the light of His Son to them. And Jesus leaves Nazareth to go down into Capernaum to the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill this prophecy to allow light to spring in the midst of darkness. And he began to preach the gospel to them. So this dimness of darkness shall not prevail forever. We too have preachers in the word of God. And the Lord is in heaven. And he now draws sinners by the work of the Spirit. So this glorious light we see here in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 and 2. And those that do not have the gospel, we see them right now, they are walking in darkness. And they do not know where to go. They dwell in a land in a shadow of death, in the great danger of stumbling right into hell. All around us, we are in a dark world, as I just mentioned. And what they need is a light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This presents to us the need of missions. Do you realize, just as I shared with you last week, 
that there are still hundreds of thousands of people that have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. You and I are uniquely blessed and to live where we live in these United States of America, to have virtually gospel preaching churches in every town scattered across this area in which we live. You and I are uniquely blessed. But if you think about other parts of the world where Christianity is a minority... And you think about other parts of the world where let alone even a fundamental Bible preaching church would be found. There might be some quote unquote Christian church, but they're not preaching the Word of God. It might be some traditional Eastern Orthodox thing of some sort, but they're not preaching Christ. We see that there is a dire need of missions in our day. The God who would allow the light of the gospel to shine forth in the midst of darkness. And when the gospel comes to any place or to any soul, the light comes and it shines more and more and more into the perfect day. And when the gospel shines, it transforms a society. You know what makes this country great and different than all other countries? Our country was based upon the Word of God. Our country was founded upon the principles of the Word. Our country was founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is not saying putting words in anyone's mouth. If you study the early documents of our country, we were founded on the proclamation of the gospel. And God has richly blessed that. And because of that, He has greatly prospered our country. But countries that sit in darkness, they're not at liberty. They are in darkness. And greater darkness brings greater bondage. And it is the light of the gospel that transforms a society. You know what makes a society a better society? It is the gospel. It's not necessarily our economic policies. It is the gospel. When you have honest people doing an honest day's work and honest employers and honest employees that have been transformed by the gospel, it transforms an entire society from the inside out. It is the only way to transform a society. You cannot do it from the top down. It is only done by the inside working out by the power of the Holy Spirit from the inside of a man working outward. It's the only way. And so we find great darkness. We find this glorious light that would shine in the midst of darkness. And those that dwell in the shadow of death, that's where you and I once were. You and I once dwelt in that lonely place of the shadow of death. You and I were on the very brink of hell, as it were. But upon you that sat in the shadow of death, the light has shined. God has allowed the light of the glorious gospel of His Son to shine forth into your heart. He's removed the blinders and the darkness that has been placed there by Satan. And you are once bound by your own sin. You are bound by Satan. You are bound by your will. But God allowed the light to diffuse into your heart and life and transformed you. So we see this glorious light. I want us to now consider not just the great darkness and the glorious light, but this glorious light brings forth a glorious increase. Look with me in verse 3 of chapter 9. Thou hast multiplied the nation. And the margin reads, and I think it is a good reading here from the Masoretic text, Thou hast multiplied the nation, and to him increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest. 
and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Universal joy arises from this light. What happened when the light first shined forth into your heart? There was joy. And we can sing that song, it was joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It was joy unspeakable and full of glory when the Lord Jesus Christ saved me. When the gospel comes, it brings joy with it. And those who receive it, they rejoice. In Acts chapter number 8, when Philip went down to Samaria and preached the gospel to the Samaritans that were the outcast of Israel... When he finally went and he preached to them Christ, and they were healed, and demons were cast out, and people were converted, you read in Acts 8, 8, and there was great joy in that city. Wouldn't that be something to see in our own day? To see such a marvelous work of God, that we could see such a marvelous work of God even here in Columbia that is in spiritual darkness, that the light would come forth in such power as to bring joy to the city, that we could see people rejoicing just like uh, uh, Ben Franklin saw in his day during the time of the First Great Awakening. When, when uh, George Whitfield was preaching in Philadelphia, and it was said that he could be heard almost a mile away. And Ben Franklin would walk down the streets, and he recorded in his diary that almost every single home he bypassed on the streets, he could hear the reading of the Bible and the singing of the Psalms. It was such a work that was done in the hearts of the people in Philadelphia. It brought forth joy. But the same God that did that then, it's the same God that lives today. And can I remind you that it was just as dark in those days during the time of the first great awakening as it is today. You see, it, sin is still sin. People still commit grievous sins. They committed the same sins then as people commit today. But the same God is able to overcome that and to shine light and to bring joy in the midst of the greatest and most despairing situations that we find ourselves in. So this light comes not only to bring joy, but this light comes to bring joy to the nations. Jesus did not come just to bring salvation to select individuals. Oh, yes, he did. He saved. He died for a select group of people. But he also died, and he came forth to bring light to the nations. Look with me in Psalm 67. Turn there with me to Psalm 67 and verse number 4. Psalm 67 and verse 4. It says, Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon the earth. The light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only to affect individuals, but the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to bring conversion to the nations. We have a light that will lighten the entire world. We have a message that will drive out darkness from the earth. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 60 and verse number 1. Isaiah chapter 60 and verse number 1. It says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people 
But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and His glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Here is a promise of this glorious light of the gospel shining forth, and, and, and actually going forth to all nations, encompassing the Gentiles. And not just encompassing you and I that are Gentiles, but this light even affecting the kings and the rulers of the earth. That this gospel, this son of man that came and inhabited a human body that died upon the cross, that ascended to heaven, is a ruling in heaven today to bring the nations to himself. Not just this person here and this person there, and just a few people are going to make it to heaven by the skin of their teeth, but he died to save the people for himself and to draw the nations to himself and to draw the kings to himself. He, we read, do we not, in the Psalm 2, kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. That is a messianic psalm speaking about the kingship of Christ that will break the rulers with his rod of iron by the word that proceeds out of his mouth. We have a king in heaven that is subduing people by the power of the gospel. And this light is going out into all the world. And this light brings great joy not just to you and me, but it will bring joy to the nations. And it will bring joy to the nations. We sing that hymn, Desire of All Nations Come. Jesus is the desire of all nations. Nations are looking for hope, but their hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is to where they must look. You and I experience holy joy and great joy. And we also see, if you turn back with me to Isaiah chapter 9, and verse number 3, it says, Thou hast multiplied the nation, and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. From this verse we see that this gospel, this gospel light would bring plenty and victory. We see here that this joy that you and I experience is like the joy in harvest. The joy in harvest. I don't know if you've ever planted a garden before. But isn't it joyful when you can finally, after you planted all those little seeds and you're so meticulous and you dug up all the rows and you patted it all down and you did all the hard work, and finally, after a few months, you begin to see those big cucumber plants begin to grow and you see those vines running, running across the ground and you see all those cucumbers all over the ground. That's plenty. And you rejoice. But guess what? To plant that, it took work. And many times, joy will come through hard work and hard labor. But also we see that joy is like the joy of harvest. It will bring forth plenty. But also there is victory. Notice it says that this joy is as if men rejoice when they divide the spoil. This is victory. This comes through hard conflict. But when this joy comes, it will be worth all the labor. So we've considered the great darkness. We've considered the great light. We have considered uh, the great increase. Now I want you to consider with me the glorious liberty. When this light comes and only dispels the darkness and brings increase of joy, but it sets us free from the bondage of our sin and makes us free in Christ. Notice what he says in verse 4. 
For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. This is looking further to the effects of the gospel, the great light which will come and visit those that sit in darkness and would bring liberty to their souls. What is the design of the gospel? The design of the gospel is to break the yoke of sin. The design of the gospel is to break the yoke of Satan. You and I were captivated by Satan. That's what the Bible said. We were taken captive by him at his will. You and I once were slaves of Satan, enslaved to him under the yoke of sin. And we can well remember the days when we were enslaved to it. We loved our sin. We swam in our sin. We longed for our sin. And we didn't even understand that we were sinners at that point. But when the light of the glorious gospel came and broke the shackles of sin and broke the yoke of Satan, and then when we tried to sin, guess what happened? We were no longer what we once used to be. We, we came under conviction. The yoke of sin was broken. We no longer desired those things. We, the yoke and the power of sin was broken in our life. We now had a desire for the things of God. There was a removal of guilt and condemnation. Remember, even in your lost days, and there was days when you were ate up with guilt and you didn't understand it. What you said to someone... Maybe what you did to someone and the guilt and the condemnation and the corruption was eating you alive. But when Jesus came and brought the light of the gospel, not only the yoke of sin was broken, but guilt and corruption and those things were also broken in your life. You are free from the rod of the oppressor of Satan and you are now brought into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. How is this done? It's done by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working like fire within us. Verse 5, the latter part of verse 5 says, And this shall be with burning and the fuel of fire. Isaiah chapter 4 and verse number 4 says, When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning, the Lord purged by His Spirit, washed away the filth of our sin by the power of His Spirit. And it is done as in the day of Midian by the work of God upon the hearts of men. This day of Midian is referring back to Judges chapter 7, verse 19 through 25. Remember with Gideon's 300. And remember how they overcame the Midianites. And the Lord said, every man's sword against his fellow. This is what God did. When God delivered you, it was just like He delivered Israel out of the hands of the Midianites by a mighty power and a mighty work, not of their own hand, but by the power of God alone. He brought about this deliverance. And so when God saved you, it was a glorious liberty. He set you free. Well, I want you to notice last of all with me, the glorious Redeemer in verse 6 and 7. And this is what the light is pointing to. We are in the midst of darkness, dimness. Israel was in the midst of darkness and dimness. But the light which shine in and this light is found in the person of Jesus Christ. A child would be born in verse 6. 
Unto us a son is given. Who was it? And where is the one that shall do these great things for the church? We spoke about all these things, but who would do it? It is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the child that would be born, the one who would be given, the government placed upon his shoulders. I want you to see him this morning in his humiliation. Notice in verse 6 it says, For unto us a child is born, and a son is given. He left the splendors of heaven to come to earth. That's humbling. Can you imagine the one that is eternal? The eternal second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was with the Father before the world began. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. This eternal person wrapped himself in humanity. And the Bible says in Philippians 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he wrapped himself in the form of a servant. Jesus Christ humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is great humility on the part of the Savior. God became man in order to bring us to God. What an amazing thing. This is humbling that God would even consider taking on him the likeness of human flesh in order to condemn sin in the flesh, in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is an amazing thing, an act of humiliation. The Son of God died for me. What amazing, amazing indeed. His humiliation, his exaltation, Consider the position he is advanced to in verse 6. He is given a government. This child, the government shall be upon his shoulder. This means that there would be laid upon him the key of David. There would be laid upon him the rightful rulership of the kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of this world have now made the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. He is given the rightful kingship of this world. Dominion is seen in him. Notice with me in verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. When Jesus came, we're, I want you to understand something. We are not right now waiting for some time in the future for Jesus Christ to be inaugurated as king. When Jesus Christ entered into the heavens and sat on the right hand of his Father, it was then that he was made king over all his people. He is not in the, in the future going to be king. He is king now. And you can see that very clearly by looking at the book of Acts, chapter number 2. That David, speaking as a prophet, spoke about Jesus ascending into heaven, and there seated on the Father's right hand, and he is now seated upon the throne of his father David in heaven, ruling over his people. And he has an increasing kingdom. The increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. He has an increasing government. You see, Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's not a physical one. He said, the kingdom of God cometh not with outward show. He said, but lo, the kingdom of God is within you. You know what the Jews were looking for? They were looking for a physical kingdom. 
They're looking for something that their eyes could see with a literal king upon a literal throne. But we have a literal king upon a throne in heaven. It's a spiritual kingdom. And his kingdom is increasing by what means? By the preaching of the gospel. This light of the gospel is shining forth into all the world. We're going to speak about that more in the next few moments. But also we see this increasing government. It is increasing over the entirety of the earth. But also it is a peaceable government. Notice he said here that of the increase of his government in peace there shall be no end. We have a peaceable king. We have a rightful king. He is seated upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom. And we have a well-managed kingdom and government. He is there to order it and to establish it. And notice this kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It says here that he will rule there forever. But how is all this to be accomplished? The Bible says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You know how all this is going to happen? The Lord will ensure that it takes place. This is why we are believers in the sovereignty of God. This is why the Scripture teaches the sovereignty of God. There is nothing that is happening in this world that is outside of the dominion and the sphere and the ability of God to control because He has orchestrated and ordained whatsoever comes to pass and is working all things to bring about His desired end. And that is the conversion of the nations and the deliverance of the nations and the drawing of them to Christ and ultimately ushering in the new heavens and the new earth. This is His desire and His plan. So in conclusion, though we be in a world of darkness, the light of the gospel has shined in. The light of the gospel will shine more and more unto that perfect day. And this light of the gospel cannot be put out. It cannot. Remember in Paul's day, whenever they, Gamaliel had the debate with the leaders of the day, and they said, if this, be, if this work be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Lest happily you be found even to fight against God. And you cannot overthrow this work. Satan cannot overthrow the light. The darkness cannot overcome it. There is no darkness that the light of Christ cannot dispel. And this Christmas season we have a message for the nations. We have a message of liberty. We have a message of joy. And our Lord came the first time to dispel the darkness of sin by His death upon Calvary, and He continues to dispel the darkness by the conversion of souls. So in reality, the world is not growing darker, but brighter. You say, well, how can that be? I just want you to just consider with me. Acts chapter 2. The world is virtually in spiritual darkness as we know it. The twelve disciples and maybe a handful of hundreds of others are followers of Jesus. Very small followers of Jesus in that day. On the day of Pentecost you have people from every nation under heaven gathered. The gospel is preached by Peter. Three thousand souls are converted. People go back to their nations. Now virtually every nation has someone going back hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You read the book of Acts. Nation after nation God moves from Jerusalem. He moves to Samaria. He moves to the Gentiles. He begins to move into the other parts of the earth. And you look at where we are in the world today. And there's virtually believers on every continent. There's believers on every continent. I dare say there's believers in every country. 
of this world. The gospel is growing and expanding slowly over time. Jesus said that the gospel, uh, the kingdom, would be like a seed planted in the earth, like a mustard seed. It would start off very small, but it would grow. And the birds of the air would come and lodge and find rest in its branches. It would be like leaven. It starts off very small, but it permeates the entirety of the earth. This is the gospel. It permeates, and it affects the entirety of the earth. Our Savior did not die upon Calvary to just simply fail in saving men. He died upon the cross to redeem a people to Himself and to draw the nations to Himself, to dispel the darkness, and to be the great victory and hero of the Scripture as He is portrayed to be. We are seeing the slow incremental growth of the kingdom. And truly the light of Christmas should bring, bring, should bring beams of hope to our hearts and our souls today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord today. We thank you for the scriptures. God, we thank you for the day that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ shined forth in our hearts. God, we see a world all around us in spiritual darkness. But God, thank you that you said that the darkness will not overcome the light. But the light will shine more and more onto that perfect day. And so God, we pray that you continue to be with us and bless us. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.